2: Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Wednesday, March seventeenth. Happy Saint Patrick's Day if that's something you're into. Derek Van Ryper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we'll talk about some March ADP movers as part of our draft season observations to this point. We'll talk about some spring stats that actually matter, and we'll talk about some players who might be primed for some rebounds in 2021 coming off of disappointing 2020s. Eno, how's it going for you on this Wednesday?
3: Horrid. Terrible. Oh my God. I am so tired. I'm <laughs> just so tired. Oh my God. A time change is like one thing. And then something, something, three cats, two dogs, two children. I mean, just horrid. And I don't know. I thought last night I'd be like, God, I'm so tired. I'll just crash tonight and everything will be fine. I'll be fine tomorrow. And I remember coming back from Japan and having 13 hour time differences and dealing with it better. So either I'm just old or Or I have to blame all the animals in the zoo of a house? Or I don't even know what it is, but um, I don't want to do this anymore. (laughs) Daylight savings, that (laughs) is? Next year, I'm just going to be like, kids, get your own asses up.
2: (laughs) Yeah, daylight savings is tough. Uh, It's not good, especially in the spring. I don't mind it in the fall because you kind of get the extra hour. But the the spring takes a couple of days to get used to. It's easier when you're traveling. Because you're tired. You're tired from being a bunch of places. You're run down. And I'm usually in Arizona now. So you're just tired because you're socializing and drinking and working and doing all those things. anyway.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Oh, my God. I was just thinking about that because it's it's, uh, Happy St. Patrick's Day. And usually, uh, almost every St. Patrick's Day, I spend in Arizona. um, And it's, um, uh, you know, there was often that, like, MLB... um, that like uh they always had that like saint patrick's day uh, concert that was like somehow mlb related it was like mlb the network related anyway
2: <laughs> if you're watching on youtube uh, hit the subscribe button hit the like button on this video you might notice i'm wearing a green brewer sweatshirt i think it's from the saint patrick's day festivities of about 10 years ago uh, the old majestic stuff is indestructible, as I have mentioned before. So
3: that looks nice, man. It doesn't even look that. It doesn't look that faded or anything.
2: No, the colors and everything have held up really well on this. So it, I'll probably have this for another ten years. Like, what's older, that or the hat? The hat is half the age of the sweatshirt. <laughs> yeah. the, hat, the hat looks beat up. <laughs> yeah. It was distressed when I bought it. You could see the the SD fraying. Uh, That was by design, but the hat's got it. You know, I've got the pine tar stain on there. I got my sunscreen mark. You know, I've got
3: (laughs) you're ready to scuff up the ball.
2: (laughs) I'm ready. I'm ready to throw 75 pitches today. I'm almost ready for opening day. Uh, but let's get into some of our ADP movers. I just updated this before we started recording. I wanted to see who has made the biggest leap in NFBC drafts since the calendar flipped to March. We're looking at March ADP from March 1st forward, comparing that to the entire month of February. And our guy DJ Antone, number one on the list with the move of almost 100 picks up the board. ADP getting close to number 300 overall as I think more and more people realize that his role should be a very prominent one. And with those innings, he can do some very good things for us as fantasy players.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I think I mentioned before that he had uh, the biggest spin rate increase year over year um, in uh, minor league baseball. And uh, maybe more relevant is that only Jose DeLeon has uh, more innings pitched on the Reds this spring. Um, and I'm not, you know, that's just a measure of how stretched out they are. So they're obviously looking at him. He has the same amount of innings as Michael Lorenzen. Um, and yet he has twice the strikeouts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Anton's pretty nasty. Um, Miley's hurt-ish. It's still uh, you know it's interesting because what is it what is ADP now 316 Yeah that's that bakes in the risk That's a that's a bench piece that you'll drop if if uh if he doesn't uh, if he doesn't get the rotation spot That's how I would that's how I would I would still uh put him I wouldn't I don't I don't know if I'm pushing much harder than that Still like kind of like a 75 90ish type uh pitcher where you're like you know If he makes it, there's a lot of upside. If he doesn't, i got to go find somebody off of the wire.
2: Do you prefer the ADP calculation in the middle of the report, or do you prefer the left column number? Because the left column number actually seems more indicative of where a player is actually going to go. So in the case of TJ Anton, it's 297, right? So it's just the order of the players. Like, There's not much that separates players at that point, so they could... They could have ADPs that are 30 or 40 apart in the calculation and still be fairly close together in the actual order. But um, a fringe top 300 guy, I think, is the right way to describe TJ Antone at this point. Uh, Miles Straw was a big mover, and I think he he pops as a guy that has a a spring stat that actually matters, about a 90-pick jump for him since February. There were some rumors that he might be a candidate to lead off, but... My simple argument against that, you know, is that the Astros have a lot of good hitters and Miles Straw wasn't a very big part of their plans until just now. There's no reason for them to immediately install him as the leadoff hitter simply because he's replacing George Springer to begin this season. You can move your better hitters up. I know uh, Carlos Correa is one of the candidates to also get a chance to possibly lead off. Uh, So when you look at Miles Straw, do you see leading off as a possibility maybe later in the year if he proves that with everyday running the big leagues that he can draw walks and and be effective i mean like i think he kind of has to prove that he can hit big league pitching consistently before he's going to get a prominent spot in the order because by all measures to me he's a prototypical number nine hitter in the american league
3: yeah i've got the bad x production projections up and it's uh, Jordan Alvarez first. Alex Bregman second. Why can't Alex Bregman lead off? Uh Jose Altuve, third. Yeah. Altuve's a a prototypical leadoff guy, even. Or, or Correa. I, I would I think I'd just go Altuve, Correa, Bregman, Alvarez. Brantley, Tucker. Tucker could lead off. Mm-hmm. All these guys uh have a much better WOBA. These guys are all those guys are good. Those guys are all projected to have basically a 330 WOBA or better. Jason Castro is projected to have a better Woba than Miles Straw. Ledmus Diaz is projected to have a better. Yuli Griel, Abraham Toro, Chas McCormick. Oh, there's <laughs> Miles Straw. There's Miles Straw. Did I just make an argument for Chas McCormick over Miles Straw? Um, anyway, uh, and, and uh, thanks to our pal Jeff Zimmerman, this is maybe the most important lineup slot thing because, A, a I, I, uh, I really respect the work that Mike Curlin does where he's looking at lineups uh, every day. Um, I'm not sure what the relationship is between spring lineups, just like we're saying with Miles Straw. Maybe in the spring, they just want to see a lot of Miles Straw, right? Maybe Josh Rojas is leading off in spring because they want to see a lot of Josh Rojas. But when he's actually playing, they're like, yeah, well, you know, he's seven, eight, nine. Yeah, you know, right? So um, I don't know what the correlation is between them. I just haven't seen that research. And then... Um, on top of that, but it is it is useful for more plate appearances at the top of the lineup, and then this one. This is great. Jeff Zimmerman found this. If you move a hitter from the 8th spot in the lineup to the 7th spot in the lineup, the average hitter gains 9 stolen bases, prorated to 600 plate appearances, so, you know, over a course of a season, nine stolen bases just from moving from 8 to 7th. It's not because the lineup slot has magic to it. It's because in the National League, uh, you know, you don't really steal in front of the pitcher.
2: Every time this comes up, I feel like a complete heel, but I'll bring it up again, which makes Victor Robles' 2019 all the more impressive. He was running <laughs> from the 8th spot that year, and he might not be there anymore. He could move from 8 to 7 or 8 to 1. And it, what dude. happens What happens to hitters who go from 8 to 1? Because that is oh, a possibility. Is it is much more likely that Victor Robles leads Sixth. off in Washington than Miles Straw leads off in Houston.
3: Sixteen, Boom. 16 stolen bases difference. Yeah, is, I do wonder how much of this is true for for Straw in, in, in the American League. But um, uh, I do think that there's some uh, probably some effect at least on the eighth to first. And for Straw, the, I think the big difference also would be plate appearances because you want him to get more plate appearances to get more stolen bases. And I just don't see any likelihood he's up there. And every uh, plate appear every sort of slot that you go down, you lose like something like 20 plate appearances on the season. 15 or something so like he he could lose a lot of plate appearances batting ninth he'll he'll get three when everybody else gets four and, and he'll do it over and over again like that you know um so I think for straw the effect will mostly be from plate appearances but there may be a lineup slot effect in the in the um in the in American League too but uh, pretty amazing in the National League right so if Robles does make that switch to 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 leading off um you know, an extra ten stolen bases would be pretty, pretty nice on that lineup. I mean, why do we always talk about the same guys? Jeez.
2: Because I love him, and <laughs> and I'm I'm here to promote the piece from Maria Torres that went up on Wednesday morning. Really good piece. Looking at the changes that Robles made this off season. he was trying to bulk up and trying to be like Juan Soto. Britt told us on Friday like he he saw mm-hmm. Soto and thought I could be like Juan Soto. It's good to be inspired by Juan Soto, but. That's not your game, and I'm glad the right people were in his that. ear. Like he had, he had people that were in his ear telling him, "No, you're, you're more like Lorenzo Kane. You're more like Starling Marte, and those are really good players. It's good to be those guys. They've had very good careers." So I'm as optimistic as I've ever been. I don't have Bailey's in my coffee today. <laughs> I'm convinced it's going to happen with Robles. I promise. I will stop talking about him for the rest of draft season. This is the last time on a pod barring injury news that I will mention Victor Robles on this pod until we get to opening day. Not at all possible. No, it's happening.
3: <laughs> Eat your hat level happening? Uh, but I think you had a question. <laughs> you had a que- That hat looks very edible. Um, it's very tender. The, uh, I, think, I think you had a question um, in our mailbag. Mail mail Where was in our it? Our mailbag. <laughs> This is this is where I am. I'm I'm yeah. one
2: step from punch drunk. It's tired. I, I can't make fun of you. You're very tired.
3: <laughs> we had a question in the mailbag for this one.
2: Yeah, so there was a question about Christian Pache. And it was, why is Christian Pache only projected for single-digit steals despite an elite sprint speed and playing time projection of 120-plus games? Is Atlanta expected to apply an anti-running philosophy to Pache, or is it something else about his game? It seems like he could swipe 12 to 15 bags in his sleep and could be undervalued as a potential 15-15 guy with a solid average in the later rounds. Cheers, Gregory. What do you think about that? You know, I mean, do you think, do you think there's something with the lineup placement with Pache? Because I do see him being pretty stuck in the bottom of the order. I do see him yeah. being there for his glove first in that lineup, where he's probably not getting out of the eight spot, barring some pretty unforeseen development at the plate in year one.
3: Well, that's that's I have shares of Pache, and I and I sort of agree with this idea that uh, maybe the productions are light on him, or just that. Um, he has more. We have more upside than the projections, and he's kind of in that that area where like, why are we hewing so close to close to projections on basically a prospect? I mean, he's played a little, but not a lot. So we're basically talking about a prospect. Yes, projections give us uh, the best sense of the middle of where a player like this ends up, but you're not drafting him. I mean, in, in NL only, you're drafting him and really hoping for a certain amount. But I have shares for him in like NFBC format and and best ball format and and these these formats were like um it's a hope it's a he's a bench guy he could break out and i think that if he does break out there is a non-zero chance that he gets his way up to the top of this lineup if he like ends up at his sort of 60 and 70th percentile right or that he gives us what robles did out of the eighth slot anyway Right. You know, like still manages uh, to just steal a bunch of bags, even though the pitcher's hitting, there's going to be some pinch hitters. There's going to be some reason to to make him to make him take off. Um, And, um, you know, the it is I can do the same game that I did with the Astros. Um, So I'm not I'm not trying to say. Uh, Straw is good and then use the same reasoning. Straw is bad and say the same reasoning that Pache is good. Because, yes, you go Freeman, Acuna, Ozuna, Albies, Swanson, Darno, Riley, and you even get uh, bench guys Lamb, Sandoval, Kipnis, and Irvin before you get to Pache when it comes to Woba. Um, But uh, the difference is price. What is it? Do we have it in front of us?
2: Pache is going around pick. Four, eh, not quite four, like 350 in March. This is what I'm saying. Like the ADP number is 441, but the actual pick slot's more like 350. Uh So you're still talking about, what, 20th round, roughly, is where you're going to draft him? I mean, that's that's late. That's your fifth outfielder. It's because the playing time floor is safe. Yeah, it's maybe even your one of your bench guys.
3: I've been getting his bench guy. And the I think that's a big difference because I'm I'm picking him up as a bench guy. Bench guy means he's gone if it if it doesn't look good, right? And and what if it doesn't look good means um, I want to see stolen base. Actually, you know that stolen base attempt rate uh, becomes meaningful pretty quickly. Mm. Um, so if he's not taking off, then uh, then that's one thing. And if I don't see a, a good max exit below, I know I'm supposed to give three four months. But with me with him i will make the choice quickly because he's on the bench and if i really needed something uh that from that lineup spot uh that i'm not getting then he'll be gone uh straw you're 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 putting in your lineup and you're and you're circling sort of 25 30 st- stolen bases i think like that's what that draft position says to me you're you're, you're circling it in pencil maybe not pen but you're you're still like I really hope Straw gives me those stone bases, and I kind of have to play him. And you know you're going to nurse him longer. <laughs> You'll nurse him longer because you paid more into him. Like the the sunk cost thing um, doesn't always work when you're like, no, I needed those stone bases from Straw. I'm going to hang on to him longer. So anyway, pache to me. Uh, we did we ever come up with a? We had some good. We had some good suggestions. What's the What's the replacement for eat this, not that?
2: Oh, I had a few of those here. Uh, there was a draft hither, not tither.
3: <laughs> that's a tongue twister, man. I'll, yeah. I can't say that, that one. one. So unfortunately,
2: I appreciate the contribution from Peter, but that's um, <laughs> that's not going to be it. It's <laughs> like the, it's was like a... the time at, when I worked at Rotowire, we named the blog initially. It was the Rotosynthesis blog. And then as soon as someone said it out loud, we were like, well, crap, that's nope. not that's not going to work. <laughs>
3: Uh, there was a really simple one that was draft. This is not that, and I was like, "Yeah, okay."
2: <laughs> yeah, there was a "Go big or go cheap." I think was one that came in. Oh,
3: that's that's getting at that's getting at the idea behind it. Yeah, I
2: mm-hmm. thought that was from Christopher, and there was a couple other ones sprinkled in. None of them were the clear-cut winner yet, though. So we're we're still we're still dancing still, around it, but still fielding offers. <laughs> who, who do you think <laughs> has to? It has to have it come with like a hook. <laughs> well, who do you think Pache is the the discounted version of, just from a stats perspective? I think it's tricky because if you think too much about it, you could see rapid growth potential from Christian Pache. I think I mentioned before, his numbers at AA were a lot better than I realized, and he was very young for the level when he reached AA. So I should probably have come away a little more impressed by those numbers in 2019. But in terms of the actual just projection One to one, like who do you see being like a more expensive version of Pache that you are passing on because you can get Pache where he's available.
3: I don't think it works like that this year because there is so much more risk around Pache, right? Uh, But if you want uh, like a sort of compishness uh, sort of situation, I think like a Starling Marte. Wow,
2: like that's a that's a big. Yeah, you are right. That that's probably too much, but.
3: That's not what I would like. That's not what I'm hoping for this year. <laughs> yeah. But that's, yeah. that's, I, I, like, I, when I look at the skills, like, I don't see him at all. Like, Miles Straw is a zero power guy, right?
2: That's like Nick Magical power. Like, if you look at his minor yeah. league track record, I mean, 20 game power, according to fan graphs, backed up by the numbers. You could count him yeah. very quickly in his entire career, in, including his little bit of time in Houston. Miles Straw has hit five home runs as a pro. Yeah,
3: right. <laughs> so they're not the same player. Uh so yeah, if we like I wouldn't want our comparison to to, to mean that they're the same player. Um you know, Pache has a 55 50 55 raw power um on Fangraphs and um I think he can tap into it. I mean, he showed he showed glimpses. So yeah, I think like a 15 to 20 homer guy with uh, 30 to 45 steals depending on where you catch him in the peak in his peak. That's that's where I, I could see him going. This year, I'm just hoping more for like what the commenters said, 15-15 with okay batting average.
2: Right. And I think there are a lot of players like that that go in the 200 to 250 range or even the 200 to 300 range. If you miss on them, Pesce is a really nice fallback option because you do get more ceiling with him than some of those other players, even though it comes with some downside of him not quite being polished enough to hold his own in the big leagues with the bat just yet. The glove should keep him in the lineup, though, because that's... That's gold glove defense in center field that the Braves are going to get uh, from Christian Pache. Uh, we should talk about Bobby Witt Jr. I don't know if we've even mentioned him on the pod yet. He's coming up everywhere Third else right now.
3: Biggest riser.
2: Huge because he's he's <laughs> now he's reached the point where people are starting to throw their last pick at him in a 30 round draft, a 15 team league ADP creeping into that, that 450, 500 range and, and still rising because uh, there were comments made by Dayton Moore, the Royals GM, that he's uh, becoming open-minded to Wit possibly making the opening day roster, which is just, I, I was nowhere near that coming into this season. I thought Wit for sure was 2022 at the earliest, needed to play high A, double A. I mean, second overall pick, plenty of pedigree, but a high school kid, I just assumed there was no chance we'd see him in the big leagues this year. What are you doing here? Are you throwing a late dart on Wit? I don't know. Nah. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I do
3: uh, one. I have a piece coming out tomorrow about strings, string stats that matter. And, um, you know, one of them is actually played appearances And Witt is, I think, third in plate appearances in the big leagues uh, this spring training. So they are giving him a shot. But I think fifth is C.J. Abrams. And to me, that's like the same deal. C.J. Abrams is not going to play on the Padres this year. C.J. Abrams is 20 years old. Uh, C.J. Abrams is just getting some burn because they didn't have minor leagues last year. They're just trying to see what he looks like against other pitchers other than their own organization pitchers. Uh, trying to get him some good competition, especially since minor league the minor leagues this year are delayed some. So like you know, get him in there, keep, keep him playing, you know, uh, keep him developing. And I think that's the same thing for Bobby Wood Jr. So like, yes, uh, Jim Bowden, uh, our own Jim Bowden reports that uh, Dayton Moore is quote unquote open to putting Witt on the roster. And yes, um, you know, I saw some really cool reporting come out last night that um, Dayton. Um, like actually cut his own salary in order to uh, keep salaries for the Royals employees afloat. Um, we know that Dayton has spoken out against um, service time manipulation. And so it, there's, I think maybe like a five to 10% chance, which is higher than I would have put it uh, that Witt makes the roster. But this is how uh, the, the problem is just like, he's a shortstop. You have Adeberto Mondesi for now. And I think that Witt is actually part of the, large bust rate that still exists for Adebato Mondesi. Hmm. So I don't think that it's necessarily going to happen this spring, but June-July rolls around and Alberto Mondesi has a 275 OBP.
2: Well, here's the other thing to consider, though. If Merrifield's going to play in the outfield, they have second base is a open. black hole at second base between Nicky Lopez and Hanser Alberto. So I like Hanser
3: Alberto late.
2: Yeah, so it's like you can bump those guys out of that spot and pretty easily yeah. just play Mondesi at second and play Witt at short if you think Witt's actually ready.
3: Yeah, yeah. And and he had like a, a one of those a standout batted ball events where, you know, Max Exavilo does matter. Um, and he did have a standout um, on that front. But wait a second. Was that on a backfield or something? Cause it doesn't show in the Savant
2: search. You know what I'm talking about? That big homer. No, actually, that's not me disputing that it happened. But that's uh, I do wonder if it was a backfield thing, which is frustrating because you know, backfield stats don't count. There are a lot of spring mm-hmm. parks that don't have Statcast data at all. Like I saw Luis Urias homer off of Clayton Kershaw, and I said, "Well, how hard did he hit it? I just want to know. Like, did he? Yeah. Did he actually hit a rocket?" Or was it just kind of a a garden variety home run off of Clayton Kershaw? Like those little things to me mean something, especially when we're looking for signs of growth from younger players in particular. Uh, I also saw there was a piece on fan graphs, like Brendan Rogers hit a scorching ground ball. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's that's something. Yeah.
3: Rogers Rogers has a really nice, but he had a good exit velocity last year. So max exit velocity last year. So his exit velocity didn't actually improve. He just showed it again. He does have, he does have that power. 116 max exit below, like the worst case uh, scenario for a 116 max exit is like Cattel Marte, which I, you know, if we're talking about draft trends, I have Cattel Marte in, in like 95% of my leagues. I think I have one league where I don't have Cattel Marte.
2: <laughs> He's your Robles. Yeah, uh,
3: yes, and I'm approaching 100 leagues. That's <laughs> 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 how it feels. My God. Have I ever done this many leagues? I think it's the best ball thing where I'm like, ah, it's just a draft.
2: Yep. They pile <laughs> do that up really like, fast. Oh,
3: I have so many drafts going on right now. <laughs>
2: uh,
3: nobody wants to hear you complain about it. it's a great job. Shut up, you know.
2: I think I've got one on the on the calendar for next week that I've got to put an NFBC draft or two on there for next weekend, and then I'll be right. All I gotta set.
3: do some NFBC, man. I gotta try get some more practice at that. I played yeah. like two NFBC leagues in my life.
2: You could play like ten if you if you put your mind to it. You could play ten this year alone. There's still still time. Oh, I mean, still enough days in the calendar. I guess, I guess,
3: yeah. But there's not enough. There's not enough headspace. My my head is is falling apart. What, was yeah. I, what were we even talking about? Bobby Witt oh, Jr. backfields. Bobby Witt Jr. <laughs> I think the power is there. I think there's still a fair amount of questions. So I I don't and that, yeah. I guess he could play second, but I, I just, or modesty could play second. I just, I don't, I don't, I don't have any shares. I think, you know, here's a, here's a, 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 a rookie that's playing a lot, that's getting people, uh, getting some buzz that,
2: um, uh, I think might actually play, which is, uh, Jonathan India. Yep. And I, he's I would not agree. Not showing on this yet. So we talked about him on fantasy baseball in 15 on, on Wednesday morning. Uh, Al Melchior and I were talking about him. And, and basically, it's just like, if they shuffle everything around and they're serious about Suarez playing short, Moustakis goes back to third India is the net winner for playing time. And he did come up. I was reading a really good piece over at baseball America, about uh, 25 players who've impressed this spring and they had some scouts coded in the piece and India was one of those guys that was featured there. So I highly recommend you check that out if you've got a baseball America subscription. But I, I think with India, the main thing for me is that he has lost some time to injuries and I wonder if that has sapped his power a little bit in the minor leagues. Like He may never be a guy that fully lives up to the expectations of where he was drafted, but he could still be a very good regular in that lineup. And if that's their best combination, and he's the net winner, then I think he becomes relevant in deep mixed leagues pretty much from the jump this season.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's all hinged on a 29-year-old third baseman moving to short. But uh, to... to Kind of make the argument pro, um, and I and I have he's Suarez. This whole thing is in my piece uh, for tomorrow. Um, there's just fewer and fewer chances of short. There's fewer and fewer balls in play. And Suarez was uh, is an above average third baseman. He's ranked among a bunch of shortstops in outs above average. It's sort of average-ish for infielders in general. And he would be bottom. Half. I'm not. I'm not pretending he would be a top half defender at short, uh, but. With those fewer balls in play, I think you're just saying the offensive upgrade we get is worth the defensive downgrade, especially when our defensive incumbents are Kyle Farmer, former catcher, mm-hmm. and um, D Gordon, who has been was moved off shortstop a long time ago, and then Jose Garcia, who's like a right now, I think, just a, pretty much a zero at the plate. I I think that this might actually happen. I think this might actually happen. And India is, um, I think he could do league average power. I think he could do league average patience. The strikeout rate is a question. He's projected for high strikeout rates from a lot of people. But we also haven't seen numbers on the strikeout rate since 2019 in AA. When he struck out 18% of the time. And that, that was pretty nice. So what if he just strikes out 21% of the time? And we're talking about a league average strikeout rate, better than league average walk rate, league average power, league average hitter? I mean, yeah. there's no other infielder you're adding to that infield right now that's a league average hitter.
2: Right, and I think with some of those skills that you mentioned, maybe some upward mobility in terms of where he hits in the lineup over time too. So uh, all those things are generally just good for Jonathan India, and the price is really next to nothing right now, an end game sort of consideration Again, it does hinge on Suarez sticking at shortstop, which doesn't look like it's locked in by any stretch right now, but I'd love to see it even just for a little while. you know, We had a lot of great questions rolling into the mailbox. Uh, the pursuit of Inbox Zero has been delayed until after opening day, but that's a thing that we're very grateful for on this show. I had a question from Mike. Are there any players who were awful in the shortened season that you're targeting for a bounce back in 2021? You named one. Gatel Marte is on pretty much all of your teams, he you just said a few moments ago, and he was brutal last season. So uh, just... Prying at that a little bit, what has stood out to you? What makes you confident that we are going to get that bounce back from Cattell Marte?
3: Um, the max exit velo. It's as simple as that. Actually, it's, it's it's a little bit more complicated. It's the contact rate. So it's the contact rate and the max exit So I think the worst case scenario is he hits for a good batting average and has 20 homers and, and 10 steals. That's what the projections are. And would you look at last year, even in last year, he had the good contact rate and the good max. Azevilo. He should be able to manage those two things, those three things. Um, and then I think that the max exit actually hints at some sort of upside beyond that, the upside of going back to uh, 2019 and showing us like even better power than 20 homers. I'm trying to pay for the 20 homers. Uh, every time I pick him, he's, he's the best value on the board. But I am jumping him in ADP, like his ADP is around 80, and I keep getting him around 60 and 65 and stuff. But like when I look at projections, I, maybe it's like setting to setting, uh, because I, you know, I'm doing these best ball drafts and stuff. So it could be just the setting. But um, in a, a number of ways that I've run the projection calculator, Cattell Marte shows up as the number one second baseman. Yeah. and that's just the projections. So, and I think there's a little bit of upside beyond it.
2: Yeah, I'm with you on Cattell Marte. I don't have him nearly as many places as you do, but he does come up in that 6th, 7th round range, especially as a guy that really kind of stands out. And I think he's one of the few early middle rounders that you can get that can help you start to turn around a foundation that might be a little light in batting average. Because of all those categories, if you're skeptical of the power coming back to 2019 levels, if you're not sure that he's going to run as much as he did earlier in his career, he's going to hit for a good average. Like, that's... Definitely a skill that Cattell Marte owns. So I do like the idea of having that to sort of fall back on as a a security blanket, kind of in that same vein of like a Jeff McNeil or other players that kind of live in that same space. But I think you do get the possibility of more power because I don't think 2019 was a complete fluke from him. So I think uh, you're definitely right to to be on him this year.
3: He has four batted balls over 110 miles an hour this spring. Really
2: good sign that he's healthy again. It was a wrist injury that he was dealing with in the shortened season, I think, that really caused things uh, to go haywire. Uh, Looking at the early rounds, one guy that I ended up with in one of my earliest auctions who I've been kind of stuck going back and forth on at the time since is Javier Baez. I know he was among the players who complained about the lack of in-game video. We know that there is going to be some in-game video this year. But last season, a 31.9% K rate, only a 3% walk rate, a 57 WRC+. We did still hit the ball pretty hard. The max exit velocity was there. 116, I believe, was as high a year ago. So there's still plenty of raw power. I think I'm in on Baez mostly because he's always had an unbalanced sort of plate discipline. There's always been a lot of swing and miss in his game. Very free-swinging sort of approach. And even when it didn't go right for him last year, eight homers and three steals really isn't bad in a terrible slash line shortened season. Uh, no one pushing him for playing time at all in chicago he's the guy like this this could be the last year for him as a cub uh, but i think the bat had him projected for just over 30 homers 14 steals and a really good counting stats so you know I, i'm in unbiased i don't know if he's gonna have him everywhere sort of player in any given year anyway just because of the way he gets there but i do think he makes a lot of sense at the deflated price
3: yeah i you know where i like him a little bit more than other places is best ball mm-hmm And the reason is that, um, you know, Bill Petty had this stat called volatility that he did back in the day. Um, We haven't seen that much of it, but it was really cool. He just sort of looked at swings in WOBA over time and then sort of graphed them and had like a volatility metric. um, And we did some fun things with that back in the day. But um, when I asked him, like, what's the major driver of volatility when you look at the inputs to your volatility, like when when you correlate things to it, what's most correlated? He said strikeout rate. So I think that if you see, this makes sense. If you see these big strikeout rate guys, a lot of them will just be, be on fire at some point. And um, in best ball, I just took him as my third shortstop in the cut line, in the athletic cut line one. Uh, I took him as my third shortstop because I had Tatis. I had uh, Torres at MI. And I was like, you know what? I, don't, I want Baez. He may not he might be my util some he'll be my util in weeks where he's amazing and maybe he'll be on my bench some some weeks when he's just terrible so i like him better in that sort of where you can reward the the peaks and and especially in best ball where they get rid of the valleys for you right yeah yeah. like it's the hardest thing when you're like ooh, like matchups is this going to be the week Baez goes nuts but it's not that hard when the computer's like this is the week Bias went nuts. He's in your lineup. <laughs> Thank you, computer.
0: <laughs> yeah. So,
3: yeah, I like him a little bit more in best ball than in other situations. I, I do think that reach rate and uh, the strikeout rate um, uh, do mean that volatility is still going to be there. But maybe one of the things that just happened last year is he, we didn't give him the opportunity in terms of length of season to have that blinding red hot stretch that would bring everything back up to, to, to regular values.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, too. A lot of players got up to a slow start, pressed a little bit, and never had that chance to bounce back with a, a strong third or fourth month. That just wasn't really something they were afforded uh, compared to a normal season. I do think the other the other guy that goes in this range who I believe in, he's got a similar skill set to Catel Marte, is Jose Altuve. I mean, I think we've talked about maybe the stolen base is not coming back, but if he gets you even... Eight stolen bases and hits twenty homers, and hits for a high average. Like we just described, another Cattell Marte type. And I think you could have both of those guys in the same roster because of Marte's eligibility. I think it would work. I have both in a couple of places.
3: I just they showed up as one two in my in my best Paul uh, evaluations, and they kept dropping. So I was like, all right, I've got the first and second best second baseman for this for this format. I think I I don't think that the stolen bases are coming back. But if you just just all you have to do is mash his uh, playoff uh, numbers into his regular season numbers. And you realize that Atube wasn't as bad as people thought last year. No, um, no, he
2: definitely wasn't.
3: There's a, I did a piece early in the off season about projected war bounce backs. Um, and there's some people on that list, like JD Martinez and Adam Eaton. They were number one and number two that I'm not that as excited about because uh, Jeff. Zerman I've offsided this, but Jeff Zerman has a piece about uh, projected bounce backs uh, for 33 year olds and older, uh, not being as reliable. Uh, but the younger guys on the list: Jock Peterson, Tommy Fam, Glyber Torres, uh, Rafael Devers, Austin Meadows, um, and then Cody Bellinger and Christian Yelich. I'm like, I'm all in on almost all of those. I know Pham has that wrinkle of being hurt, but I mean, he's playing. If he if he was like, I'll get on the field next week. Like Jordan Alvarez is not playing yet, is he?
2: He just started playing Tuesday. I think he was going back to back. He was going to play again on Wednesday while we're recording.
3: Okay, I couldn't find him on some plate appearance list I was looking at, but yeah, if if that's what fam was like right now, I'd be like, woo, like he has a big scar on his back, and like that's worrisome. But like you know, I know I know uh, from sourcing that that he's been hitting for a long time, and yeah. I think it missed the organs, and um, I don't think it's it, I don't think it got as oblique, so um, I don't know. I think he I think he's probably recovered. And uh, he has a great eye. If I want someone to bounce back, I kind of want them to have a great eye. You know, I just think that's a great place to start. And th- that's why Baez in a regular league, I may not jump all over, but, um, but uh, Pham has a great eye. So, you know, I think, I think he'll be fine.
2: It's interesting because Pham's kind of always had that as a big leaguer. Marcus Simeon hasn't. We talked about him probably back in the fall and, it's interesting they landed in Toronto, but if you look at his nineteen and twenty stats combined, Marcus Simeon has a fifteen point five percent K rate over the last two seasons combined and eleven point four percent walk rate. Like, there's probably yeah. more bounce back potential in Marcus Simeon than than I've given him credit for thus far. Uh, the drawback, as we've said before, is like in his peak season with the A's in twenty nineteen, he absolutely maxed out playing time he let off and I think he played all 162 games so um, and he's you, absolutely you really not can't play more that. than that right like he's got absolutely not going to do depth. that in
3: Toronto right yeah <laughs> because they have great depth
2: where he's going right now though I mean if the adps in the 120s like I could I could see a pretty nice bounce back from Marcus Simeon and, and I wonder if if the projections are dinging him a little too much on average because of who he used to be as a hitter since his his plate skills are not as firmly locked in as a lot of other players that walk that much and, and strike out you know less than twenty percent. Like I, I just wonder if there's a little more noise in the numbers with him.
3: Ooh, Mitch Keller is getting whooped. I don't
2: have him awesome anywhere. Meadows.
3: Yeah, I don't have him anywhere either. It's just bad fastball command and a bad bad straight fastball. Um no, um here's something you may not expect to hear from me. I have some shares for Marcus Simeon for nothing that has anything to do with numbers. In any case, I have shares of Marcus Simeon because I don't think I've seen a single player more dedicated to his craft. I don't think I've seen a single person that I would put the grade A plus makeup stamp on um, on the same way. Like I just, I think he is an A plus teammate, uh, an A plus effort guy. I think he's just. He's he's one of those guys. He doesn't have the abilities of Trout, but when Trout sees a flaw, he goes and eradicates it. You know what I mean? And that's because Trout starts with like NFL linebacker type athleticism, right? And so he adds that with the makeup and the and the effort. Simeon doesn't quite have that same athleticism, but at the same time, he does have a good amount of athleticism. And every time he identifies some small flaw. He goes at it. I mean, you should have seen him working with Ron Washington on that infield defense, man. He, he just looked at... He, he said he even looked at war and was like, what are the components of war? What are the things that need to matter? Oh, okay, defense is going to be in there. Base running is going to be in there. And if you look at all of his numbers, he just improved every single one over time. He's like, oh, reach rate is important? Oh, yeah, I'll stop reaching. You know, <laughs> like, oh, you know, like, defense is important? I'll work every day. To, to, to be the best shortstop I can be. So, um, I say give him a regular season. Give him a nice lineup around him. Uh, Get me, like, you know, 260 batting average, 20-plus homers, 10 steals.
2: The yeah. really nice player at the Double price.
3: eligibility at some point, too, right? Like yeah, you know, maybe even, like, the first week.
2: After the first week, yeah. he'll probably pick that up. Yeah, so he's a good target. I would say there's one more player that I, I keep falling into this trap. Tell me if I'm wrong, but... You've mentioned before, Gary Sanchez, infielders can play him further back because he's slow. I get that. He still hits the ball really hard. He's still in a good lineup. He's still in a good park. The Yankees kept him like all all the things he needed to have that bounce back, they're all in place. And the question is, bounce back to what? If I said Gary Sanchez will match Sal Perez in terms of fantasy value, would you say stop putting Bailey's in the coffee or would you say no that actually makes sense?
3: Um yeah, I actually skipped over his name in that list of projected war bouncebacks. I see. I was All hoping right. to avoid this conversation. I would just say that uh, I don't know that he'll ever hit for like the 280, 299 average that he had early on. I don't think that's coming back because because they can play him. You know, fifteen. They can pay him fifteen feet deeper than they'll play. You know, D. Strange Gordon just as a name. Um and and so that those fifteen feet matter. So they'll steal a bunch of singles from him. They'll they they'll they'll um they'll shift him. They'll you know they'll steal singles from him by playing him deep. But the homers are, are real, and the playing time is real. So like two thirty with thirty homers,
2: yeah. And that's like exactly what Sal Perez could do. I think Sal is more likely to hit two forty or two fifty. I and mean, we saw a crazy right. good average from him last season. Maybe more playing time for
3: Sal, but. That doesn't happen every year. Like, we've talked about this. You'll see a thing where it's like, you know, even for a regular position player, it would be like 650, 600. Look, it's Marcus Simeon, 650, 650, 650. Oh, not 650.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, it finally caught up with them. So I don't know that's I I, I do have some Sal Perez shares uh, just because, you know, two-catcher format, the, the allure of getting a ton of plate appearances from your catchers is, is is there. But I don't know that it's, it's a guaranteed lock.
2: Let's get one on the pitching side, one pitcher who was awful, just awful in the shortened season that you believe in, because it'd be weird to only talk about hitters here, right? We got to throw
3: someone. He was in awful. There. I mean, I like Barrios was pretty, was not great.
2: Was he awful? Now, like Matthew Boyd was awful. I don't know if you believe in him at this point, but that would certainly count as awful. Okay. Okay. Was Montas awful? No, I don't know. Corbin was awful. Uh Paxton. Yeah. He was hurt, but he was awful. Montes would count. Well then I am of those I'm
3: picking Montes. Luke Weaver. Trying to, uh, I mean I have a Montes high ranked higher. Uh, but there's some there's some stuff to like about Weaver, man. I I I like him as a final uh as a bench final pitcher type guy.
2: Yeah, he ends up on a lot of my teams because he's available after pick three hundred, pretty clearly got a job and I think he could at least just split the difference between 19 and 20. It's just a matter of really staying healthy for Weaver that I think is the, the big part of why his price is down.
3: Yeah, it's health. You're, you're starting with a, a at least league average kind of stuff foundation where you're talking about good fastball, good changeup, um, and actually really good command numbers. So that's a pretty good foundation because all you're doing is trying to futz around with the cutter and the curveball. I mean... Yes, Michael Walker had a hard time with that same combination (laughs) for a long time. Um, But I I think that uh, just comparing the two, uh, Weaver's command is much higher, much better than Walker's.
2: You get some other really bad names. Madison Bumgarner was awful in the shortened season. He's He's sitting 90. And I think he wasn't... He wasn't throwing that much harder when he was really good. Like so much of Madison Bumgarner is, you know, extension that he gets off the mound. Like he's releasing the ball pretty close to home plate, so that ninety gets up on you a little quicker.
3: Arm slot, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I could see him bouncing back a little bit.
2: Uh, last guy I want to throw at you from the pitcher section. How about Jake Odorizzi? We didn't really talk about him from a fantasy perspective. I suggested that Houston might go after him when Fromber got hurt, which was far from rocket science. That was just basic <laughs> connect the dots or paint by number sort of analysis. But uh, what do you make of him? Because he, the very little bit we saw him in 2020 wasn't pretty, but I, I like that he landed in Houston just from a, it's a nice park to pitch in. The division as a whole is mostly soft landing spots. I mean, I I think Oda still undervalued even with his ADP ticking ups and signing.
3: I mean, he had a really small sample compared to other people, <laughs> Uh, Thirteen innings. Um, I'm looking at trying to find his fastball velocity. It was good. Yeah, fastball velocity was good. Uh, The home run rate was through the roof, and that's like not at all useful in a 13 game sample. Um, What? I guess his competition is getting better. Is it though? Uh, He's on the
2: probably the best team. I mean, last year he didn't get to reap the benefits of the weird schedule last year really it's just the typical right. AL Central from 2019 versus 2021 AL West i don't think there's that much of a difference i it could be a little tougher for him now but the toughest lineup he'd have to face is the team he's on so he doesn't have right to face that's them. what i'm saying
3: yeah yeah so i think it's
2: pretty good like i i, I think all signs are pointing up the projections liked him quite a bit throughout the offseason too so uh, i'm in for a jake Odorizzi bounce back here i think
3: i think i have him let me see. yeah i have him 68th that's
2: probably higher than most projection on the bat had him 54th yeah i was taking some shots on him before we knew where he was going to pitch so i've actually got a decent number of teams that odorizzi on there is uh, a, a dart throw for some
3: unfortunately late so round
2: innings may not be ready for opening day but
3: if he does miss opening day i don't think it'd be much because even if he just started now
2: i think he'd probably be able to, like miss a turn right Yeah, probably one turn at most because it's not an injury, it's just getting fully stretched out. So a few pitchers sprinkled in there that you could go after who were very bad in the very short 2020 season.
0: High speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply.
2: And since March Madness is here, I should also mention the Ding You presented by MGM. It's the athletics college basketball crew bringing you everything you need to know on the court and off the court and at the sports book and picking the brain of Bet MGM's top bookmakers as well. Check that out in the daily Ding podcast feed and streaming on YouTube. So catch Ding You all throughout this tournament. All right, you know, we've got a couple more questions to get to before we go. A question from Brett. I have been producing my own auction values using the SGP method for a number of years. In my auction, you also need to purchase your reserve picks, six bench spots in this case. How do you account for this when creating auction values? I've tried researching this and haven't come across a great way to do it yet. Thanks, Brett.
3: Yeah, I think you just have to add them to the different player pools. Because I think SGP, are like you're like this many... You have this many second basemen or whatever, this many mi. I think you just have to kind of guesstimate. Maybe you could look the one. The one thing that STGP is stronger at than a score uh, is that um, you can capture if you're in a league that's been the same league for a while, you can capture league trends because STGP looks at like um, how much uh, like a, a standings point. In stolen bases, for example, uh, costs. And if you're in a league that maybe everyone fades stolen bases, then the the price per point in stolen bases changes. Um, And so, if you're in a league that's been with the same competitors for a while, uh, SGB can be better than Z-score. So, I think my solution would be just to look at what how benches have been constituted in the past and add those players. May just be I know that like a rough average is. It's going to sound gross, but uh, there's no good solution. Maybe the gross one is the right solution. And so what you do is you look and say, okay, over the last three years, uh, the bench has added on on average one outfielder, one MI, and one CI. And then you just add that, you know, add you know, uh, account for that in your CI replacement level, in your MI replacement level, in your OF replacement level. Add add another spot basically, to those. Uh, I mean, practically, how many people are going to put a catcher on their bench, right?
2: Right. Probably not more than two teams, I would guess. because
3: So you don't want to just add the value to every player because not a lot of people are going to put a catcher there.
2: Yeah. I, I also wonder, in a league like that, how many $1 in $2 players do people end up with in their rosters? Like, do they... Does the room account for this correctly, or does the room not account for this correctly? Are we just talking about basically a reserve round that turns into extended dollar days instead? Like is that that's that's the case? Like if that's the case, are you do you really need to tweak a whole lot or are you just putting a little extra weight maybe on the players at the top? Like I I think there might be there might be some ways to fudge the numbers that actually get you closer to what you want to do than trying to account for those spots in the most precise sort of way, which is maybe an unsatisfactory answer, but I would, I would definitely look back at how people build those benches and how much people are spending on those last six spots per team.
3: Yeah. And then, and then ask yourself also like play the game. What if I had budgeted uh, an extra dollar for those and could steal a bunch of other people's bench slots? Would it have been a good idea? <laughs> you mm. know, like, I know at the time you're like, ooh, I, I got that sleeper. You know, I took him away from his bench. But, you know, if it's an only bench, uh, you know, that's like me being like, you know, woo, I got Hanser Alberto away from you. Two dollars to your one. Nan and a boo-boo. And then three months later, you're like, why did I care about this? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, I would like kind of look, do some retroactive analysis there too, where you're like, D- would it matter or just, like, can I just budget $1 for all these guys?
2: Yeah. Hopefully that helps you out, Brett, and anybody else who's in a similar situation. It's not totally uncommon, but I know it's not the most common way people tend to play those auctions. I had a question here from Ryan. My head-to-head keeper points league of 17 years is folding and I'm looking for a fresh start. I've never played any other formats and I'd love your suggestions as to what I should try this year. Thanks for the advice, Ryan. Uh, sorry to hear your league broke up. That would be crappy to have a league that ran that long that wasn't coming back. I, we talk about the NFPc a lot. They don't pay us to talk about them. I think they just do a good job running leagues. You can go in at almost any price point now and, and play 12 teams, 15 teams. If you want to go high stakes, you can do that. You can do draft. You can do auction. One thing you can't do is keep her, though. They no, they did launch keeper leagues this year. Oh, they did. Uh, they did. I, I think they come in at a, like a higher price point than most. I would say for keeper leagues, if you want to go in, as just one team. Auto new is probably the closest yeah. thing to what you were playing before, right? I mean, and, and you can go in and, and pick up a team by yourself. So. Those are probably your two best options.
3: They also have boards that where you can just sort of pick up orphans or try to o- organize. One thing that's hard about like sort of picking up a keeper league on Yahoo or something is that I don't I don't know about the resources in terms of where to find those and yeah, other than like go on Twitter and ask for a like or a retweet or something, you know, what I mean mm-hmm. like I don't I don't know how people find each other anymore. It used to be forums.
2: Yeah. Yeah, Roto Junkie back in the day and then we had a and thread. I think Roto
3: Junkie might still be around.
2: Yeah. Roto,
3: so. Roto, Roto baller. Uh, yeah, there's some forums. I you could look for forums. That's one way. But news is just really nice because they have forums too. But they also have a board where it's like these are, you know, here are some uh, orphan teams that you could pick up, or or do you want to start? Do you want to try to get some people together and start a new league? So and then Auto new is 12 teams, but it's 40 man rosters. And it's a uh, four hundred dollars for your reserves and your FAB. You just basically forty man roster, four hundred dollars, make a team. And there's some inflation and stuff. But the nice thing is, inflation, all the minor league lists, all that stuff is handled by the the platform. So, you know, I think uh, I think that's the way to go.
2: Yeah, we talked about it a little bit on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Niv Shaw is the creator of Auto New. He was our guest on the pod. So if you want to hear more about that format in particular, definitely check that episode out from about two Thursdays ago. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of rates and barrels. You can go ahead and send those questions our way rates and barrels at the athletic.com. If you'd like to sign up for a subscription, we've got lots of good deals going right now. The athletic.com slash rates and barrels should get you in the door. Uh, If you can't do the Bet MGM thing, that's the way to go uh, to get the most bang for your buck on the subscription side on Twitter. He's at Eno I am at Derek Van Riper. And again, reach out, send us questions. We'll get to as many as we can. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you on Friday.
3: Thanks for listening.